So we're going to do what we do each Sunday. We're going to look at a passage from God's Word. We'll talk about what it means and why it matters and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible with you, Bible app, any way to access the Scriptures, if you would turn today to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to start at verse 1 and kind of hop around a little bit, but when you found that, if you'd stand together with me and honor the reading of God's Word. I know some of you are already glad that I didn't say turn to Matthew, so... uh, Here we go. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Paul writes this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, of all who is over all and through all and in all. Let's jump ahead to verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect and mature of the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality and to indulge in every kind of impurity. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's God's word. may be seated. Let me pray for us quickly, and then we'll dive into this together. Spirit of God, would you come now and just illumine the preaching of your word? Open our hearts and minds to receive whatever it is you want to accomplish in us. You've promised us when you send the word, it doesn't return to your void. It will accomplish the purpose for which you send it. So God, accomplish that purpose in each one of us today. As I always ask, oh God, would you move my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Well, it's the stuff of history for us now, but for those living in Germany following the appointment of Adolf Hitler as chancellor in 1933, it was a very present as well as increasingly concerning reality. As Hitler, he quickly transformed the political and societal landscape in Germany from one of a coalition government to really a totalitarian state, which many aspects of life were controlled by the government. And one area of control that was of particular concern during that period was increasing levels of government overreach into the church, as well as increasing levels of what was seen to be compromise of the church with the Nazi movement. 
And so out of which, as a, as a response to that, grew and, and came into formation something called the Confessing Church. The Confessing Church, out of which came things like the Barman Declaration of 1934, which was sort of a, a manifesto, as one author put it, of fidelity to Christ. It said, the church is to be loyal to Christ and not an organ of the state. As well as the, the creation and establishment of an underground seminary in the rural town of Finkenwald, which was under the leadership and instruction of a young Lutheran minister by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you're not familiar with that name, your, your homework this week, students, I'm sorry if that word triggers you right now, but your homework, should you choose to accept it, uh, this week is to get online later today or go to your library this week and, and spend some time learning about this amazing young courageous theologian who unfortunately lost his life uh, as he was uh, hung in a Nazi POW camp in 1945, just days before it was liberated by U.S. soldiers. But as it relates to the creation of this seminary that he started, many apparently uh, began to question uh, the need for such a place, as well as the intensity with which he and the students there pursued life together in studying the scriptures and prayer and the shared rhythms of life. Uh, one friend in particular, notes pastor and author John Tyson, named uh, Wilhelm Niesel, uh, who had heard Bonhoeffer lecture in 1933. He came up from Berlin to visit, being, as he, Niesel himself puts it, suspicious of too much spiritualism. Kind of this idea of like, aren't you taking this all a little bit too far? And so in response, as the story goes, Bonhoeffer takes Niesel out on a rowing trip. And as they reach the other shore of the Oder Sound, he takes them up a small hillside which is overlooking an airfield where they see German planes landing and taking off. They see Nazi soldiers all marching purposefully in line. And as they watched, Bonhoeffer spoke of a new generation of Germans in training whose disciplines were formed for a kingdom of hardness and cruelty. And therefore, he explained, it would be necessary to propose the superior discipline if the Nazis were ever to be defeated. Or as Tyson summarizes it, what Bonhoeffer was doing in Finkenwald had to be stronger than what Hitler was doing with his army. So we are beginning this new summer teaching series today on spiritual formation, which if you're not familiar with that terminology at all, it's really just about how, as followers of Jesus, we work over time to try to look more and more like him. That's the whole idea. Which, if you think about it, should be the most natural, the most just common pursuit of everyone in the church. For like, in, in all throughout the New Testament, no less in our passage today, it's something that's commanded of us. It's one of the things Paul lists as one of the purposes of our salvation in Romans 8 when he says that we are to be conformed more and more into the image of the Son. That's, that's the purpose of it. And yet... And time and time again, you, you ask people about spiritual formation. You say, hey, tell me about what you're doing right now. What, what, what are you finding helpful to you know, grow deeper in your faith, uh, look more like Jesus? And, and you'll get one of two responses. A lot of times people will just kind of look at you blankly, and they just have no, haven't given it any thought or plan at all, just like, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I go to church sometimes or pray before meals. Um, or they do see spiritual formation as something important, but they, they, ha they have this idea that somehow it just happens without any intentional plan or effort on their part. It's just going to happen, which I, I, I need to be charitable with 
Because first of all, I've been in both of those places before myself. So I, I've been there. Secondly, because the reality is this could be someone who's just new to the faith. And they haven't been well discipled. Nobody's showed them, hey, spiritual formation, that's essential to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But which, regardless, whenever people say that, I always want to ask them, and actually I usually do ask them, um, where else in life do you see that working out? Like literally, can you tell me any other relationship, any other pursuit of some goal in life where investing no time, no energy whatsoever works out? And I know like some of you are newlyweds here right now and, and, or you remember that time in your life and there can sometimes be a time period early on Usually it's the husband where there has to be, they got to come around to the idea that you got to continue working on this thing after the honeymoon. It doesn't just like, hey, we're all done now. I've invested in the relationship. A little bit more work to happen. But, but on the whole, really, can you think of any relationship and any pursuit of excellence in some skill in which ongoing effort isn't required? Not really. And I know that that can trigger some of the same pushback that we had last week when we were in Matthew 25. And Jesus was talking about entrance into the kingdom or not based on how well we serve the poor, fed the hungry, this kind of thing. We're going to push back and be like, I thought salvation was supposed to be this relationship of free grace, not a result of works so that no one can boast. How can we talk about effort being required at all? But actually, if you look at verse 1 of our passage, look back there. Nowhere here does Paul talk about these guys earning their salvation. He's not talking about any kind of do this stuff so that you can be accepted by God. All he says is that as kingdom citizens, they need to seek to live a life worthy of the calling. Or some of your translations will say walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've received, right? Or as D.A. Carson, as well as many others have put it, he says, grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. It's an important distinction to remember. And as it relates to that grace-driven efforts, what we might call the how of spiritual formation, what have classically been heard over these years and centuries as the spiritual disciplines, they are the means that have been used in the church since the times of the Bible in order to see that deeper formation into the image and likeness of Jesus take place. It's how it happens. And I know that that word discipline can also be triggering to some of us. It sounds like a, a harsh kind of oppressive thing. What do you mean discipline? What's What's that about? If you think about it, though, it's really no different than when we talk about someone giving themselves to the disciplined pursuit of their instrument, disciplined study of their golf swing, uh, the study of their lecture notes as they prepare for the bar exam, uh, the moves for that TikTok dance you're trying to learn. Whatever it is, we give ourselves to the disciplined study of these things, which it's, it's kind of one of the things that then baffles me when we see this disconnect somehow when it comes to our spiritual formation. Because literally, in every one of those examples I just gave you, and a hundred more I could give you, everyone just gets that disciplined study, an intentional plan of some kind is required in order to achieve excellence in those things, right? Nobody watches Tiger Woods play a round of golf, Yo-Yo Ma play the cello, and it's just like, why can't I play like that? Like, we just get that, no, effort, study, discipline, study is required. It's only as it relates to our spiritual formation that somehow... We get this idea in our heads that it should just happen. So with the understanding, really, everywhere in the Bible, that our spiritual formation, it does. I'm here to tell you, it requires intentional effort as well. It's those spiritual disciplines that we're going to be giving ourselves to the discipline study of over these next months in the summer. 
But again, you're going to hear me say this a lot during this series, not, not so that we can just learn about them. Not so that we can present and gather a bunch of information about the spiritual disciplines. Oh, isn't that interesting? Hmm, what an interesting thought. No. No, we're, we're learning about them so that we can put them into practice more and more in our lives in order to see that our formation into the image and likeness of Jesus continues to take place. That's, that's why we're doing it. Okay? So that's what we're going to be doing. That's where we're going in this series. I've, I've prayed and I'm going to continue to pray that this will be just a, a deeply rich and meaningful time of discipleship as a church as we do this, both corporately together as well as individually as we dive into this. But as it relates to the passage we just read here, and kind of by way of introduction, before we dig into any of those means of spiritual formation in particular, I want to begin, first of all, I'm really trying to establish why it is that spiritual formation, or what Paul calls here in our passage, taking off the old self and putting on the new self, why is spiritual formation such an important thing for followers of Jesus to begin with? As well as talking, generally speaking, how the spiritual disciplines help us to do that. Right? That's what we're going to look at. So we're really kind of laying a foundation today for everything else that we're going to be looking at over the next week. So today, all we're going to look at is just two simple things. We're going to talk about the why of spiritual formation, why do we need to do this, and then the how of spiritual formation. How does it happen? Okay, just those two things, the why and the how of spiritual formation. So if you close your Bibles, Bible app, whatever you're using, could you open it again to that passage, Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Follow along with me as we dig in today into this summer teaching series in formation, and today particularly talking about why having an intentional plan for our formation is so important for us as followers of Jesus. Okay, so let's look first of all at the why of spiritual formation. Why do we need to do this? And I think we need to begin here because I think the question of value, like the question of the importance of spiritual formation to begin with is likely a question on all of our minds as we begin a series like this. I mean, spiritual disciplines, that sounds so like next level. I mean, isn't that something that like monks and nuns and like super spiritual elite people do? Is, is something like that really something for just everyday followers of Jesus to do? Is that something we should all be doing? And, and the answer I would say is absolutely yes. Yes, you should be. Uh, we all should be. And yet I don't just want to like tell you that it's something we should be doing. I want to show you here why, why it's so important that we do this as followers of Jesus. So look again with me at verse 1. Let's start here. We see Paul urging this church at Ephesus to live their lives or to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they have received. It's a calling that Paul is referring back to back in the beginning of his letter, chapter 1, where he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you've been called, which is what? The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Wow, okay. But then notice in our passage, he goes on and lists all kinds of godly character traits that we're supposed to exhibit, that we're supposed to have as these kingdom citizens, which like, I don't know about them, I don't know about you, but I know I'm not even close to having attained. Hey, I can't even make it past first, like the first one. Be completely humble. Nope. Uh, be totally patient. I've got two teenage daughters. No. Um, and yet he's, he's saying this is what needs to happen. Look ahead to verse 11 and following. You see He's talking there about one of the responsibilities of church leaders in particular. 
is to equip every person in the church to use their various gifts and acts of service that he says together grow and build up the church collectively from being infants to being fully mature followers of Jesus. Look at the end of verse 13. To the point that we attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Okay. Anybody? Anybody there? Okay. Yeah, me neither. Um... So, on the one hand, here, spiritual formation is necessary for every follower of Jesus because we've been called towards a a level, a standard of spiritual maturity and godly character that none of us have yet achieved. So that's, but yet, it's what we've been called to. Every single one of us, you, me, every follower of Jesus throughout the history of the church. So that's one reason. Second reason, if you look at verses 17 following now, you see another important reason that Paul says, our spiritual formation is necessary. Look there. He says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity like calloused to God, they have given themselves over sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they're full of greed. Now, it's important to note that when Paul kind of says to his readers here, don't live any longer like the Gentiles do. He's not making some kind of racial insult, as the Jews of his day were actually often known to do. It's not what he's doing. What he's doing is really referring, generally speaking, to all those who are still outside of the kingdom. Don't live like those who are still outside of the kingdom. Because if you didn't know, the book of Ephesians as a whole is written to those who are primarily a Gentile church albeit those who've come to be followers of Jesus, but who are still live among and are surrounded by the very same idolatrous Ephesian culture that they all grew up in. Which, man, if you needed like a, a, some kind of tie-in from the scriptures of like why this passage still relates to you and me today, I mean, there it is, right? Like, what does it mean where we've been transformed by Jesus, welcomed as citizens of his kingdom, and yet still very much live in the same world, live among the same family and friends and culture that we all grew up in, and now just trying to learn what does it look like to live a Christ-formed life in the same place and among the same people where we once lived a crisis life? I mean, this is the exact tie-in for us right here. The Ephesian church, they're dealing with much of the same kind of struggles that you and I deal with today as we try to live out our lives in the same place and among the same people who we were saved out of. Which means, as citizens of the kingdom, we need an intentional plan of some kind that's going to help continue to shape and form us more and more into the image of Jesus because no matter how much you try to cut yourself off, silo off you and your family from the world and people, I'm going to take away all the kids' phones and cut off the internet and Netflix, and we're going to make sure that the world doesn't get them, you're still, you're living in the same world, you're living around the same people who are going to, just, they're just going to entice you just by living their lives. They're going to try to in some way entrap you back into living like you did before you became a kingdom citizen. You're living among those things every day. Add to that what Paul's going to go on to say later in the letter, chapter 6, about spiritual enemies that we all wrestle against, having transformed our, we've transferred our membership, if you will, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I mean, the devil, he's not a good loser. Okay, he, he, he's going to do everything he can. If he can't get you back, he's going to do everything he can to keep you ineffective, distracted, remaining an, an infant in your faith. Which isn't even to mention all the ways that John Mark Comer lists in his work on this passage that we are formed unintentionally. 
formed without even having to think about it. Uh, every single day of our lives by like the stories that you believe about the world, about sexuality, about the, the value of human life, about you're, you're formed by uh, your habits, your relationships, your experiences, your phones, formed by these things every single day without even having to think about it. It was kind of like terrible in the way he said it, uh, although he's so true. He says, you don't need to set a Google reminder. You don't need to sit down and take stock of your life or develop an intentional plan to be formed by every one of these things. All you need to do, he said, is simply wake up tomorrow. So when it comes to the why of our spiritual formation, as well as the question of whether or not this is something important for every follower of Jesus, hopefully you can see, like, what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to take you up on the hillside like Bonhoeffer and, and show you, like, give you survey all the things that are kind of going to be the, the, the massive forces, really, that are marshaled against you living a life worthy of the calling that you've received. In order to help you see spiritual formation is absolutely necessary because your efforts to be formed more and more to the image of Jesus need to be greater than all those efforts that are seeking to keep you from being formed that way. Or to just use the language of Bonhoeffer, it will be necessary to propose a superior discipline if those enemies of our formation are ever to be defeated. Okay, so that's the why of spiritual formation. That's why we need to be doing this. Last thing I want to look at together with you quickly is the how of spiritual formation. The how of spiritual formation. And I say quickly not because spiritual formation is something that can be accomplished quickly by anybody. It, it can't. Um, only because, again, we're doing more of an introductory work today. We're going to be going into a lot more detail over the next weeks of summer uh, to each one of these things about specifically how this works. But So here today, okay, spiritual formation. We've just said, I hope, established Something essential for every follower of Jesus. How do we actually do it then? How do we actually develop this plan, this intentional plan for a formation? And what are some of the things that need to be included in that plan? Great question. And I think the short answer is it's the spiritual disciplines that we're going to be looking at this in this series. Those are what need to be included in any pattern or plan of spiritual formation. We need these disciplines. That is, the spiritual disciplines show us how we take off the old self and put on the new self. I'm not going to go into much detail about these disciplines. Obviously, that's the, the content that's going to fill up the whole series. But I do want to say at least a quick word about how practicing the spiritual disciplines, generally speaking, helps us in our formation, as well as I want to give you a word of encouragement as we either begin or continue to grow in our formation to Jesus. So look again now to verse 20 and following what Paul says in our passage here. Remember, he's just been describing this pattern of life the Gentile converts had formerly lived in, this former pattern of formation. And then he says this, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Which means what? Because, like, wow, that's a lot. <laughs> He's just put a lot in front of us. And I don't know, maybe we ought to start with the encouragement part before we get to how spiritual disciplines uh, help us in our formation to Jesus. Because, I don't know, if you're at all like me, you read this and 
think about the size of the task we've been called to, as well as the size of the forces all marshaled against us being formed in that way, and it can just feel overwhelming. Can feel, we can feel fearful and afraid and just like, how am I ever supposed to do that? Well, the first answer that I want to encourage you with is right here in our passage. As Paul reminds us there back in verse 11 through 13, that this gathering of God's people right here, right here, as well as the leadership that God has appointed over this church in particular, we are all here, and one of the purposes of the church is for us to help each other to support one another, to walk alongside one another in this calling, right? You're not, you're not trying to do this on your own. We do, we're doing it together. Second encouraging answer is found in Jesus' own words to his disciples in John 14 when they were likely feeling very much like you are right now in response to what Jesus had called them to as well as just heard that he was about to leave and go back to his father and they were kind of freaking out. And Jesus tells them, he says, I will not leave you as orphans not leaving you to figure this out on your own, I will come to you. Okay, how? Well, as Jesus says in the verses immediately preceding that promise, when he says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another comforter to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. All of which is to say that Jesus is actually, this is cool, he's actually way more interested in your spiritual formation than even you are. And he's going to work alongside you in order to see that deeper formation in him happen. He's going to help you to do it. A reality that's beautifully pictured in promises like we see in Matthew 11, where Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. You're trying to do this on your own, you're trying to figure this out, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's the same kind of language Paul is using in our passage. We, we are to learn Jesus. For I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, so great. With, with that understanding now, okay, our spiritual formation is something that God by his spirit comes alongside, works alongside his kingdom citizens in order to help us accomplish. We can now address the practice of spiritual disciplines in particular, how that helps us in our formation to Jesus. Because here's the thing, at their core, one of the best ways, I think, to understand spiritual disciplines is just to think of them like different exercises. Think of them like different machines in a gym and that are all about training our spiritual fitness. That's a great way to think about them. Because I don't know if you've ever worked with a personal trainer or a coach before, you know what a huge difference that can make between just going in the gym and wandering around trying to figure out, like, what is, how does this thing do and what does that machine do? You're just trying to figure it out or, or developing any kind of, like, fitness plan that's going to work for you specifically in your body type as opposed to, like, having someone there who can guide you, walk through it with you, encourage you. It's a night and day difference. But then, okay, so if it's like a gym, there are all these different machines, what are the, what are the disciplines? What are they? What are the different machines in the gym? Okay, well, some of the classic, best-known spiritual disciplines, things we're going to be looking at, things like the study of Scripture, prayer, fasting, giving, silence, and solitude, the regular practice of which are what trains someone in their spiritual fitness. Or as Paul uses it in his language here in his passage, it's the thing that helps our new self, or you could even say helps our new kingdom clothes to fit better. 
So that's, that's the, the big idea. And then along with that, as the new clothes fit better, it's going to help us to begin to see our old self, our old clothes. It's going to be, we'll start to see them as the tired, tattered rags that they were. We'll stop wanting to wear those things. How does that happen? Well, again, each of the spiritual disciplines, what they do is they address a different aspect of how you see and think about the world around you. They also address different desires within us. So as, as just one example here, if in our old self, in our old clothes, we were darkened in our understanding, as Paul says there in verse 18, then the study of Scripture. Study of Scripture is about regularly exposing our darkened minds to the light of God's Word which over time is going to shape and transform our thinking as we are taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, as Paul says there in verse 21. If we're corrupted by our deceitful desires, Paul says there in verse 23, in our old clothes, then disciplines like fasting, disciplines like silence and solitude are going to shape our passions and desires to be more and more in line with a hunger and thirst for righteousness, as well as teaching us about finding rest from just the constant of, of noise and distraction that God wants us to enjoy in our lives. Again, we're going to go into a lot more detail with each of these as we look at them individually over the coming weeks. And no question, let, let me just, spoiler alert for all of you, yes, just like when you're learning any new skill, none of these disciplines are going to feel natural at first. Okay, none of them are going to fit right. They won't. The point is that through the discipline practice of these things, over time, it's going to become easier and easier to do. It does become more natural to us. We experience greater freedom in, in living this life that God designed you for, in which Jesus said this life that he said he came to bring us to have an abundance. As our spiritual fitness grows, all of those things are going to be true. It's like the famed coach of Dallas Cowboys, Tom Landry, was apparently known for saying, he said, the job of football coach is to make men do what they don't naturally want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. In his book on the spiritual disciplines uh, that is going to frame much of what we're going to be looking at, Donald Whitney, kind of commenting on Landry's words here, says, in much the same way, followers of Jesus are called to make themselves do what they would not naturally do in the pursuit of spiritual disciplines in order to become what they were made to be, like Jesus Christ. So that's it. Okay, that's, that's what we're going to be doing uh, over these next weeks together, a kind of a summer fitness program that maybe you didn't know you were going to be embarking on. That's what we're going to be doing together, and, and, and I, I pray it's going to just do incredible things, help us to grow in our maturity, helping us to look more and more like the one who saved us and called us to be citizens of his kingdom. And, and you know what? I'm, I'm excited. It's a, it's a program I hope you'll join me in participating in. Because I'll tell you what, I, I need to continue to grow in these things just as much myself, okay? I'm, this is not the sensei and the grasshoppers here. Like, I need to learn this stuff just as much as anyone and continue to grow in it. So I want to be learning alongside you. And I know many of you, uh, just as I talk and interact with you, you've got that same desire, that same heart to want to just, I want to learn what it is to know Jesus more, to be more like him. And I'm just excited what I believe God's going to do in and through us as we take on this program together and actually kind of even like more broadly speaking this fitness program is actually exactly in line with our core value of transformation as a church which as we've said here summarized this way that we are a people of transformation drawn to an ever greater depth of life in Christ we both behold and bring his light into every place of darkness that's darkness in the world as well as darkness in us 
So it's right in line with all of these things. So I'm so excited to, to do this together with you. And yet, yeah, what I also know is that there's no way that I can make any of you do this. <laughs> I, can't, I can't encourage you or get you or, or do enough to make any of you do this. I, and I, and I, can't even, I can't even do it for you. In order for this to actually happen, you are going to need to decide yourself. You're going to need to be willing to put in the effort yourself in order to see that formation happen. Which I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's some here today, and I'm not suggesting I know who you are. I'm not looking at anybody. But maybe that whole idea of deepening in, in your faith, uh, um, growing in your spiritual fitness and maturity. Maybe if you're being honest with yourself, that doesn't sound all that interesting doesn't sound all that appealing. Maybe you're hearing all of this and you just kind of, your response is like, yeah, maybe. Well, to those of you, first of all, who are excited, if you're just like, I'm excited about this, this is something I want to dive into with you, my response to you is, okay, let's go. <laughs> right? Let's go and, and, and dive into this and just see what God's going to accomplish in and through us as we pursue him. Because again, this is his desire for us. So no question, as we press into the desires that God has for us, 100% it's going to happen. And if you're part of the group that's just like not convinced yet, you're just like, I don't know, this sounds weird, or I'm not all that interested, my encouragement to you is simply this. Would you be willing to be open to at least just trying? Trying to implement even just one. Even just one of the disciplines that we're going to be looking at through this series. And just see, test me out, see if even just beginning on this path of spiritual formation doesn't bear incredible results in your life as you do it. Because that's the thing. I mean, I've already tried to, like I said, take you up on the hillside and, and help you see the massive forces that are marshaled against your transformation. And I would hope that in hearing that, like, you're not just like, you don't just respond with, yeah, well, you know, just like hand over the keys. Just let them do what they want to do. Like that you'd have at least some fight in you that'd be like, no, I don't want to just give in to that. But another important reality that we didn't even talk about yet, and another reason that, that spiritual formation is essential for every follower of Jesus is that we start out this new life as kingdom citizens already having been formed by the kingdom of darkness from which Jesus saved us. You know that? that you've already been formed? See, that, that, that's, that's why Paul even had to tell these Gentile believers at all, put off the old self. Don't keep walking in the, the way you formerly lived. He had to do that because that way of life had already formed them, just like it's already formed us. Which is also why it's such a myth. It's such a myth to believe that practicing the spiritual disciplines is something just for the spiritual elite. And that not practicing them, those who don't, just remain in some kind of spiritual neutrality area, just like, you know, a little bit over here. Like, that's not true. That, that's a total lie. That's not how it happens. The practice of the spiritual disciplines, as has been said by many before, is an act of counterformation. Counterformation for those already formed by the world, already formed by culture and people all around you. It's not an optional AP program for those with a special interest in going deeper. You've already been formed. These, these are a way of reforming our lives back into the image and likeness of Jesus. That's why I want to encourage you, man, even if it's just to humor me, 
even if it's just to humor me, just pick one of these disciplines that we're going to look at together and try to practice it until you get good at it and it feels comfortable to you. Just try it. And that's why I say until it feels comfortable. I'm not talking about a January 1st gym membership where you go twice, injure yourself, and then just say, yeah, I tried to get fit, it didn't work. I don't mean that. I mean, like, actually pick one and try to work on it until you're good at it. And then tell me that this isn't important. Because as you see in verse 17 there, Paul says this isn't an optional exercise for those who are truly citizens of the kingdom. It's our responsibility. It's a responsibility of every member of this global family called the church whom Jesus bled and died to rescue us out of that kingdom of darkness. I think N.T. Wright said it best, and I'm going to close with this here. Commenting on Paul's instruction to these Gentile believers in particular, but no less implying and meaning this for you and I today, he says this, Now that they are in Christ, they have the responsibility, in the power of the Spirit, remember he's doing it with us, to take off the old lifestyle the old way of being human, like someone stripping off a shabby and worn suit of clothing. It may have become comfortable, you may be used to it, and even quite like it. Familiar old clothes are often like that, and brand new ones often feel a bit strange. But if you want to live a new life as a person in and for the king, the old suit of clothes has to come off, and the new one has to go on. God, help us to do this. God, help us uh, as we seek to take off this old self and put on this new self. God, help us to want to do this if we don't yet. I'm excited to dig into it with you together.